Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so great today, Tim. Uh, I am doing so well. You know what? If I was doing any better, I would be our guest. <laughs> That's right. Today, David Strabela. Our guest, David Strabela. Very interesting guy and very sort of even-mannered, isn't he? He just seems like he's got things figured out and life isn't much of a problem for him. And he's dug into it like... What by it? I mean the mystery of life, Lance. He's dug into synchronicities. What the hell is synchronicities? That's very well put, Tim. He has seemingly put together some of these instances in life and tried to make some sense out of them, and he has made some sense out of them. And it's not like he's figured out life, but he's well on his way to figuring out some of the purposes in the universe. And I know that sounds a little uh, out there, and this is a bit of a deviation from a typical episode, but it kind of links in with everything that we do. You know, it kind of links in with these things that have been popping up behind the scenes where we're like, wow, that happened here and that happened here. And yeah, these synchronicities and you can't help but notice them. And it's really tough to not notice them. And it's even tougher to not want to run it through your brain is this wonderful thought experiment. Absolutely. And I think learning about this can potentially help folks. Uh, I know it helps me a little bit. So sort of deal with the chaos of life and uh, sort of just understand that that maybe sometimes there's there's more working than we realize. And sometimes you could just got to commit to something and throw yourself into something. See where the universe takes you. See where your journey takes you. I guarantee if you're having any doubts as you're listening to us in this intro, those doubts will be set aside. When you hear David Strabelow speak, he has done everything from filmmaking to screenwriting. He's also a journalist. He was a journalist back in his 20s. He's also a social worker. He's a clinical social worker, and he considers himself a storyteller as well. And he made a documentary called What is Synchronicity, which you can find on his website, davidstrabla.com. That's David, D-A-V-I-D-S-T-R-A-B-A-L-A.com. Be sure to check that out and, and read up about him. Check out this interview and just go along for the ride. Like he says, it's all, it's all a flow. Just go along for the flow. 
And a quick definition here, synchronicity is a concept first introduced by analytical psychologist Carl G. Jung to describe circumstances that appear meaningfully related yet lack a causal connection. And I think most people listening have probably experienced these things. Maybe they haven't heard the term or heard someone really talk about it, um, but I bet you you've experienced it. And we had a recent guest named Gary Lockman who wrote a book on Carl Jung where we talked about synchronicity for probably like 15 minutes of that episode. So that was like a month ago. If you're really interested in this topic, I definitely recommend listening to that episode as well. And before we go to the interview with Mr. Strabola, Tim, what are you doing on June 17th of this year? You mean next week? Oh, I can't wait, Lance. I mean, next week. <laughs> We're both going to be in Saratoga Springs, New York at Putnam Place on June 17th from 6 to 9 p.m. It's an event, Lance. It's Saratoga True Crime Night, hosted by Saratoga Living and our friend Marcella Hammer from the Saratoga True Crime Club. We're also going to be joined by our friend and colleague. The scene there, Tim, is going to look like the Beatles getting off of the airplane when Josh Hallmark arrives with us. Uh, people are going to be passing out out of excitement. Not only that, but we have Toby Kirschman of DNA Investigations LLC in the house as well. That's the person who worked on the Golden State Killer case. And Dr. Christina Lane and Dr. Christopher Kunkel from the Cold Case Analysis Center at the College of St. Rose. This is going to be a blast. Josh Hallmark of True Crime Bullshit, us, oh my God, all these experts. Lance, this is going to be too much fun. So go to eventbrite.com and search Saratoga True Crime Night. That'll pop up. Get your tickets. They are selling fast. We can't wait to finally see you. Thanks a lot, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, David Strabola. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. It's so good to be on your program tonight. It's fantastic speaking with you because you are an expert in a subject that has always been very interesting to us. And we finally have the opportunity to speak on a platform that enables a lot of people to hear sort of the inner meaning of this whole synchronicity otherworldly type uh, occurrences that that just it's it's fascinated us for a long time and I know that it's fascinated a lot of people on many levels and you're an incredibly busy human being and we appreciate you taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to be here um, I, I have a question that's off topic a little bit you're wearing a shirt that says child abuse prevention on yes yeah. child abuse awareness yes uh-huh yeah, it's a kind of a promotion at the uh, place where I work. Uh, I work for a juvenile office in Clay County, Missouri. And um, so somebody uh, made up these shirts uh, to promote it. And so, yeah, a lot of us are wearing these around. And I'm a therapist there. That's my role, a clinical social worker. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those really important things, I think, that we always could be in the forefront of uh, our minds and hearts. Yeah, good cause. Yeah. And you made a film called What is Synchronicity? It is a documentary. Can you tell us a little bit about this excellent documentary? Yeah, thank you. Well, it's um, 
something that's been a long time birthing, I would say. Um, I think I was probably born to do it. In fact, we could go back that far. And, and that's part of what it can reveal to us uh, is that, you know, the, I, there's an ancient idea that we all come in with certain uh, themes or songs or stories to live out. And uh, the first way I came upon being more aware of mine was when I was uh, 12 years old and I had, a, um, first of all, I'm the youngest of 13 children. And uh, yeah, and so uh, there's a lot of space between the older half and, and all the way down to me. And I had a sister who was 31 who died of lupus. Um, and I was 12 at the time. She was much like a second mother to me. And so it was very meaningful, very shocking when she died. Um, and it came, you know, it's right at that age, being 12 years old, of kind of coming of age and what would traditionally be an initiation age. And that's what it turned out to be for me. And just dealing with death of someone close to me for the first time. But in, in particular, the way it initiated me related to synchronicity was there were a couple main things that happened right before her death. One was my parents had their 40th wedding anniversary a month before she died. And at that time, um, we had no idea that she was close, that close to dying. I mean, she was in pretty good health at that point. So it was a shock when about three weeks later, four weeks later, she got real sick and, and died shortly after. Uh, so that was one thing that, so we were all together is the point. All 13 of us kids came from near and far to gather and celebrate that anniversary. Little did we know that would be the last time we'd all be together. So there was that. But then even that summer before she died in September, I was uh, hanging out there a lot at her house with her husband and her uh, young daughter. And I just spent a lot of quality time there with them uh, for that summer. And it was amazing for me to see my sister be so happy as a mother and for me to have that quality time with them. And I just, I put those things together and I just thought what an amazing storyline, so to speak, or turn of events that, you know, the, the sweetness and, and the, the tragedy, so to speak, uh, the sadness of, of all that. And I became, I, it just alerted me, it opened up my eyes, kind of cracked me open is one way to say it, to looking at life that way in terms of meaning and in terms of the ups and downs and the waves of how things flow. So that was, that was kind of my um, uh, opening to it. And I think that was always kind of in me. And later on, I went to be went on to be a journalist, and I like to look into people's stories and that kind of thing. And then later, a therapist. So now here I am in 2007, I think it was, working with a young man, 15 year old, at a group home. And uh, so I'm coming to see him maybe for the third or fourth time as a therapist. And he says to me, uh, you know, I'm always in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I thought, yeah, that's true for so many of us, you know. But I, I for some reason what came out of me was a, a question back to him uh which was i wonder what it would be like for you to be in the right place at the right time and he thought well that's a good question let's talk you know so he we talked about that for about 10 minutes or so and it was amazing it was a great discussion he had great insights about what he could do different in his life and what his gifts were and things like that we got done and he says to me out of the blue he just goes that was cool you ought to write a book about that and I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> uh, and it just stuck. I mean, he was coming from the heart. And, and 
I, so I started looking into it. I tried to shake it off. You know, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, right. Well, I, I had no reason to write a book at that point. I, I was happy and fine in my life. No big thing seemed to, you know, be uh, that where I needed to, to do that, but it wouldn't go away. And so I looked into it. There were so many books already on it, and I didn't really know what my niche would be on it, on that topic. So eventually I stumbled upon someone who we were talking about it, and she happened to be an actress. And that just triggered me to think, well, I wonder about a movie. A documentary and sure enough I, at that point I couldn't find another one so I, I started hanging around the film clubs in the Kansas City area where I live and one thing led to another and pretty soon there I am doing it even even the way I met um, my director of photography was synchronistic and, and kind of got me into that so I'll, real quick I'll tell you that part to kind of finish this up as far as my my getting into this um, uh, so I'm hanging out at this uh, film set for a documentary. There was somebody who came to town from California and was doing a film um, on teenage girls in trouble. And, and just the topic, given that I work as a therapist with teens, was intriguing to me right there. But they were looking for volunteers. And so here I am at this film club and they're saying, hey, th this person needs volunteers to go help on the set. And I'd never been on a set before. And I thought, well, great opportunity just to see what it's like. So I'm hanging out there that weekend and just doing this and doing that. And I met the guy who was the sound, um, the lead sound guy for the set. And he got to, we got to talking. He said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, you know, thinking about considering doing a movie on synchronicity, a documentary. And he goes, oh, I know about that. He said, I've actually studied Carl Jung and some of that. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow, you know. Of course. Yeah, what are the chances, you know, of that? And, and so we got to know each other over the weekend. And pretty soon, you know, here we are at the end of the weekend. And here's the moment where I jumped in because we exchanged our our phone numbers and whatnot and kind of thought well we'll meet up at some point for coffee or something but as as we're walking sort of accidentally together toward our cars he says he kind of turns he goes well uh are you actually going to do that film <laughs> you know kind of like are you serious about it and um at that point i knew that i could not be lukewarm anymore you know, like I'm thinking about it. I'd been thinking about it for months and I knew at that point I needed to jump in. That was sort of a calling. And so I said, with about two or three seconds of realizing that I just automatically came back with, yeah, I'm going to do it. And that's when I jumped into the, into the ocean, I guess it was of the project. And sure enough, we, uh, about a week or two later, there was somebody coming to Kansas city from the UK who I knew would be a great interview. And I, I called the, or contacted the manager and they're like, yeah, bring it on. You know, we'll interview with you. And so I, I contacted David, his name's also David, um, who's the director of photography. And he's like, great. Um, my timing is good. I just finished a project. And so we met, I didn't even have a one page summary for him, which is kind of a standard thing. And uh, he didn't care. And I, I just couldn't come up with one. And so we just talked and, and started. And that was in uh, late 2008. What a cool story. I don't, I don't mean to jump to the end. Cause I know this will be sort of a, a winding journey. Um, but for for people who have not experienced synchronicity i like w w what do you tell them <laughs> well uh, my guess is they probably already have only they may not know it or they may not know what to call it 
because it comes in very many different forms. Uh, it can be tricky and sometimes it's not really a synchronicity, it's just your mind making it up. So for the skeptics out, out there, I, I join with you and encourage you to remain skeptical, you know, but also I hope you can remain open. And that's that's part of holding the tension of the whole experience. So, you know, it, it does come in, in so many different forms. Uh, basically, it's something I, I would say to somebody, you know, it's meaningful coincidence. And so something on the outside happens to occur or you, you witness or whatever, and it matches up with some state inside you. That state can be a, a thought or a, a goal or an emotion or a dream, um, something like that. Um, and it just is so coincidental that it kind of makes you uh, stand back and go, whoa, what was that? And, and um, so I think most people that, I mean, maybe not everybody, but they might have to work hard to think about it. But I think most people uh, probably have had something like that happen. But again, our society kind of doesn't really encourage a lot of uh, exploration of that experience. We, it tends to get, you know, kind of pushed aside or minimized. And so to feed it and to wonder about it and hold it, in fact, over months or years, in some cases, it won't really fill out. You'll have something happen. I, I can give various examples, but uh, something will happen and, and it'll be a week, a month, a year, whatever later. And then the meaning of that thing that happened like a dream, let's say, will just pop into place and you'll go, holy smokes. It's, you know, what is that anyway? And suddenly it's got meaning and direction um, and kind of a coherence for your life because you can if you've lived long enough, you can kind of look back on life and go, oh, I kind of see now why that needed to happen. You know, it really sucked at the time, but it is, you know, I learned something or I, uh, something really meaningful came from it. And therefore, uh, even though I wouldn't wish to have it again, it, it served a certain function or purpose for you. Oh, that's, that's really interesting because I wrote down a question, which was, do these things happen very quickly, like what is the time frame or the duration of the person identifying it or the, the, the thing happening, the person identifying it and then identifying the synchronicity? You're saying that this could be something that can that can span years. It could. Yeah. Yeah. And there there's at least an example or two, I think, in the movie or something like that. Or one of the, this my sources there tells gives exa an example like that. Um, and also it can kind of evolve over time. And that's that's where it gets even more tricky. Uh, maybe I could tell a story of one that I had that, that evolved over time and to give you an, uh, such an example. So uh, this happened about, oh, this was before I you know, was in the process of making the film. It was probably 2002 or three, something like that. So I'm, I'm dating a woman. <laughs> one of those classic stories uh, that many of us can relate to. Uh, somebody you're dating and, and you think, oh, you know, this isn't working out. And um, we need to break up. And, and so that's kind of where we thought we were, even though we had, we were ambivalent about it. We thought maybe we could make it, but now let's, let's split up. So we did. And it was maybe about a week or two later, I was driving, uh, taking an exit off of an interstate here in Kansas city. And I pulled up behind a, a, a car, a red car. And there was a woman driving it who had dark hair, much like the woman I had just broken up with. And um, it was the same make and model as well. And it had a license plate that was personalized and it said, wait, and then the number four, me. Now, maybe I should have told the first part of the story for that to make sense. But the first part is that that was a theme when we met that 
I was kind of needing to wait for her because she had just gotten through a divorce. And so she was kind of saying, you, you know, you might need to wait for me for a while to really be fully, you know, present in the relationship, that kind of thing. So that, that was already, you know, in kind of running in the background of me and the relationship. And so here's this license plate with the same color make model and a woman with the same color hair driving it and the license plate that says, wait, the number four, me. And it just, um, you know, made the hair on the back of my neck kind of stand up. Like I almost wanted to get out of the car and run up to her and say, who are you anyway? Make sure it wasn't, wasn't her. Uh, it was that, it was that close. Um, now, not everything about it, obviously, maybe the car was, you know, in small detail, a little bit different or something. So it's not about the, the exact precision of something, but it's close enough. And the point is that the one, the thing I would say to people is if it has, if, if it's got a meaning to you on the inside, especially if it, if it really, your body feels it, that's one of the best ways I think to tell it really, it really breaks or curves on the meaning for you. So, um, so then what, what do I do with that? You know, so I, I thought, well, do I just call her up and say, oh, honey, gee whiz, you know, we should get back together because I saw this cool license plate. I mean, that's kind of foolish or silly. So I knew I needed to kind of be cool about it and just kind of wait and see. And I let it sit for a while. And then I, I happened to see her at, at a church that we'd been hanging out at and, and again, and I just said, Hey, you, you want to get lunch? And she's like, yeah, why don't we? So we had lunch and, and, and I didn't say anything about the license plate actually for a long time to her. Um, but we decided to get back together, but it was set up in part by me thinking, I wonder if I need to give it another chance because of the license plate. So I leaned into it without being too, uh, rigid about it to go, Oh, this definitely means, you know, like, you know, some people might say, Oh, God is giving me this message. And I think you have to be careful with that, but, uh, but you know, not to knock God, but you know, uh, we can, we can cling too hard in our desire, uh, to, to the, that kind of attitude. So we have to be careful, but I leaned into it because of the license plate. And then here's the kicker. So years go by and we are still not you know, getting married. Um, and we were kind of in that zone of should we or shouldn't we. And I, I thought more about the license plate all over again. And I thought, well, and this is where I started to get a little bit woo woo about, well, does it really mean that we should be together? And uh, how, how hard should I hold on to that? And I got to thinking more about it. And I, I you know, I looked again at the, at the words, wait for me. And, and it's not really an instruction. It's not really saying anything predictive. It's just a mirror back to me saying, in, in a sense, this is what you're doing. You're waiting for her and waiting for her and waiting for her. And, 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 and do, therefore, at that point, I realized, oh, I've been waiting long enough and this isn't happening. You know, I mean, we've been together for years and it's nobody's fault. I'm not blaming her or me, but it just, the facts on the ground were such that this was not, this was not happening. And once I faced that, then the, the license plate had a different meaning. Then it wasn't any more like this is destiny and we're supposed to be together. Then it was more about, oh, now I see this is a theme in my life that I do perhaps to a fault and it's time to let it go. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And this is this is really interesting stuff. You used a few words like destiny. Um, the word fate came to mind, and we were talking about religion a little bit. So how is this different than those things, fate, destiny, and religion? 
I think that it overlaps, especially with fate and destiny. I think religion would be something that I uh, see Carl Jung, who, you know, coined the word, uh, was trying to create space for a, a psychological principle uh, related to a causality. So he was trying, even though he's um, very much into spirituality in his thinking and in his experiences and so on. Um, I think he wanted to try to carve out a space that was somewhat off to the side so that it didn't involve belief in God so much. So he's not against it. It's just, it's a way of saying, let's do something a little different with this because of the fact this isn't about God. It's, it's about how we relate to God, which sometimes can be too rigid. And we think, well, I prayed to God and therefore I should be getting this or getting that. And, and we can get wrapped up too tight in it with our expectations. And, and therefore we're not as open as we need to be to what really might be going on. Just like I had to reopen myself to new meaning about that license plate. Uh, you know, some people want to go that way. I'm not here. I don't want to judge and say, Oh, you shouldn't include God in it. I mean, uh, but I just, I just think people should be a little bit careful or more um, sophisticated about not getting caught too much with a religious, only a religious view of it. Um, I think everybody, I'll put it this way. I had a, a philosophy or religious studies instructor in college at Iowa State many years ago who uh, we were t I was interviewing him for an article for the student paper and, and he, he just kind of came out with this and I really liked it. He said, you know, I'm, of, I'm in this place in life after many years of studying this and that. And he says, I'm of the opinion that anything that moves somebody a little bit closer to God or whatever you believe, you know, ultimate reality or whatever, anything that moves somebody a little bit closer to that is probably a good thing. And anything that moves somebody away from that is probably a bad thing. And I love that probably part because the good and the bad play off each other nonetheless, but you want to lean into what you believe to be the best thing in a given moment. So what's good for one person in one moment can turn out bad the next and they need to get away from it or whatever. And everybody's in a different place. So I just think, you know, if, if something strikes you in a certain way and it's meaningful and it moves you and helps you grow, uh, that's probably a good thing. But don't cling too tight to it forever because <laughs> you know? something else will probably come along to jar you out of that. Um, in fact, there, here's a, a quick little quote that I, that I really like. I think that ex differentiates it real well. Um, I think it's Banksy and maybe somebody else who has said, said this quote, it goes, um, uh, art disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed or maybe it's vice versa, but in terms of the order, he says that, but I like that idea. And I think synchronicity uh, and these kind of experiences are that way, that there are times we need to be comforted, especially if we're taking a new risk or reaching out in life in a new way. And, and so we need some comfort or support. And other times we've been complacent or we've been stuck and something needs to come along to kind of kick us a little bit and disturb us. And so synchronicity does both, in my opinion, but we tend to want to, naturally as human beings, we want to lean so much into the comfort side, believe that our egos or whatever are doing the right thing most of the time. And therefore we want confirmation for that. And I, I think, I think you have to be a little more careful and skeptical at that point. All right. Well, I'm going to throw a, a fun quote right back at you from your documentary. What is synchronicity? There was a fellow in there who said the world is a mystery trying to reveal itself. 
So what does that mean to you? Is that uh, obviously we're talking about the same kind of thing, but what is it, what does that mean to you? I really uh, like that one a lot. That's one of my favorites. And uh, yeah, Michael Mead said that. And one of the things that, uh, what it means to me, uh, I might put it this way, some of the ancient ideas, uh, tribal ideas and traditional ideas around kind of our, our source and our, our life um, have to do with the idea that we are born, as I said earlier, to live out a certain kind of life. But the thing is, uh, we tend to, as, we, as we're born or come into this world, we forget what that is. So a lot of life, they would say, is remembering what you came here to do uh, before you incarnated, so to speak. And so that's the mystery is can you unfold that mystery, perhaps much like a detective, um, frankly, uh, and and kind of involve your inner detective uh, to search out what's what's really going on in you, what's calling you, what's challenging you and and that sort of thing. So um, to me, that's from a personal standpoint, I think that's a a lot of what it means is to is this and that synchronicity can help you remember uh, what that had to do with. One of my biggest concerns with synchronicities is forcing it. And you used the term uh, tuned in, like if you're tuned into it, what where's the line between being tuned in and looking for it and making it happen in your head? It, it is a fine line. And I think, you know, there, there's this one idea I like uh, is that you don't know what's uh, enough until you've gone too far. <laughs> so so you you may end up, um, sort of going too far in terms of forcing something. And then that's when you discover, oops, you know, uh, and so being in touch with your body and, and whatever the, the feedback is that's going on in your life uh, in terms of what you get from other people or, or whatever can be very helpful. And it's important to be open to that. Yeah. I think if you, maybe if you're into too much magical thinking, I mean, life is magical and, and I think we need to have a sense of wonder about that and, and encourage that. But um, I, for me, it would be to make sure I'm grounded. I tend to be kind of a flying boy, uh, which can be good for noticing synchronicities. But the thing then is to ground it. You know, what kind of activity, what kind of thing am I doing to stay active in this world so I'm not, you know, too much up in, this, up in the clouds. Um, but there's a, also I've been listening a lot to Alan Watts, uh, the philosopher uh, who, uh, if you don't know, uh, he died in 1973, but he was a great kind of translator of Western thought and experience, or Eastern thought and experience to the West. And he talks about uh, the Eastern idea of Wu Wei, which is basically taking, knowing what the right action is based on the circumstances and the character of the moment is, is a very brief description. So one thing that can help is to know yourself, you know, to the extent that you know yourself, that can guide you a lot. You know what fits and what doesn't fit for you. And another thing would be to know, to learn about archetypes, which are simply patterns of, of behavior that relate to a certain species. And for the human being, it would be anything having to do with drama, the roles that we play, uh, the kind of events like initiation or passages that happen. And the more you, you t- tune into some of those uh, things, I think then you can view the world uh, through those kind of maps, through sort of psychological maps. And then you kind of get a bigger picture of what's going on in your life, what's going on perhaps in the world, and you know what kind of, what you're swimming in basically. And so that, for me, that's a great guide. And uh, 
in the documentary, you mentioned a condition called apophenia, which um, is the tendency to perceive meaningful connections between unrelated things. And that was the first time I ever heard of that. And that was that was really interesting to me, um, hearing it having been classified, like uh, sort of making connections where there aren't. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the first time I'd heard of the word as well when I interviewed Bernie Beitman, uh, one of the sources for the film. And um, so, uh, you know, there's there's a str- kind of a struggle going on, you could say, with the two halves of our brain is one way that he explains it. You have the, the left side, which is more associated with rationality, concreteness, and, and so on, and the right side, which is more about emotion and intuition and so forth. So uh, we are meaning-seeking a meaning-seeking species, so there's part of us that's just kind of always looking for for meaning. So we, but and that side can overdo it, you know, and and look for stuff or or think there is something there when there isn't, um, and that needs the other side to check and balance it. But of course, the the left side can be too dry, too rational, and uh, therefore it needs um, some moisture from the imagination, from maybe even a little bit of fantasy or whatever. And so you're really uh, just—it's a matter of kind of working out that balance and and not being uh, too caught on either side, uh, and and know that they, you know, kind of will play off each other in hopefully a creative way. You also say that this is the GPS of the universe, which I thought was really cool. I love the idea of sort of triangulating to a point um, without realizing that that's happening. Like having, cause there's a, there's a, everyone has like a natural sense of direction, whether it's really good or really bad. And it, I always kind of imagine it being these triangles that sort of move to these locations and point you in the right direction. And the concept, the notion of the universe having that um, is really appealing to me. Uh, what And it goes back to your point about um, the world wanting to reveal itself. Do you think it's the world that wants to reveal itself or is the world that wants to guide you to yourself mm-hmm. through, the, through this GPS system? Yeah, uh, probably both in, in some way. Um, you know, as you were asking that question, uh, one of the, my favorite movie images that popped into my head um, was from Apollo 13, you know, with Tom Hanks. Um, I hope most listeners have watched that uh, or at least know something about that story. And so there's that part where they have to fire the, I think, I guess at that point, it's the lunar module uh, to get back on course they're a little bit off course and they have to fire it and then they don't really have good navigation and uh, Tom Hanks character says well hey uh, Houston what if we just tried to keep earth in the window they had interestingly enough a triangular there you go with the triangle uh, window that they were looking out of and if we just keep earth in the window and, and Houston's like yeah that's probably good enough you know so life is like that is that you know, it's it's not always going to be precise. Most of the time, it's not as precise as we'd like it to be. And especially the more time goes on and, and we live with all this uncertainty and chaos in the, in the world right now, it's going to be more that way. So so here they are firing the thing and, they're have, and, and it's like a, a balloon that you let the air out of and it just squirts all over the place unpredictably, right? And so they're trying to battle, you know, the the different mechanisms manually. And they do, of course, end up 
with earth in the window but i think it's a great image for how life knocks us around you know we're trying to keep going toward whatever home might be let's say home in our heart kind of idea or where our imagination seems to be calling us and we get knocked off course by bad you know certain events that interfere or a person that does something to us or our own distraction or addictions or whatever and so when we really can tune in again to uh, our imagination combined with our heart and and then line that up with something that wants to help us on the outside then then it's kind of like it's one of those moments when you feel encouraged where you're going all right i think maybe i'm back on course and i feel uh more confident again so oh does that does that how does that fit for you guys how does that sound as an image oh yeah absolutely you you have um really great imagery with with your answers like the balloon just kind of <laughs> flying everywhere you know <laughs> very unpredictable yeah um and you also said that uh there's like a certain i forgot what it was in reference to but there's a certain flow like if you if you are part of the flow of everything mm -hmm. which means i guess in my head that you should give up a little bit of control to to this to this flow because if you're going to fight it you're only going to be paying attention to fighting it i'm wondering why people fight this flow is it just all these external factors that pressure stress you know anxiety things like that that are caused by the world and work and things like that mm -hmm. yeah again a great question i mean that hits right to home as far as one of the main ways in which synchronicity can help us and one of the main obstacles, which is ourselves. Um, but that tension between, uh, well, to answer your question, the, the most basic thing would be fear that gets in the way. To let go means to face some kind of fear, the unknown, uh, something unfamiliar. You know, we like the devil that we know better than the devil we don't know, even if it's something bad. Uh, typically, until it gets so bad that we go, okay, I guess I, I have to can it now and try something else. Um, so, but there's this tension of, I want to do it, but I don't want to do it. I want to jump, but I don't want to jump. And just that tension can build it up in such a way as to really help you define and commit to it. Much like the story I told about when David, my director of photography, said, are you really going to do this film? My, the tension had been building up and building up for months for me about first doing a book. Oh, no, let's do a movie. And am I really going to do it? I don't know. I've never done one before, et cetera, et cetera. All the doubts and so on came, were just stirring so there can be this moment where you make a leap you make a leap of faith and for everybody that's different um and but i think it's important not to get too hard on ourselves and and just um get too simple and say just do it um sometimes that works you know any what i one thing i say to people is anything could work but nothing works all the time so trust yourself and and um, you know, if, if you think you need to wait a little longer and you're not ready or something, maybe you need to, then maybe you do that. And, but then, you know, as you get to know yourself better then you know, when you need to jump, you can kind of feel it hopefully. Yeah. And I think you're hitting on something that, uh, is very personal with each person when you experience these, I think, uh, how it feels to you is something you really need to take note of. Is that mm -hmm. something you agree with? Yeah. 
Yeah. I, again, everybody's personality is different. Style is different. Uh, so I think you need to take that into account. And that's part of knowing yourself, knowing what your personality styles are, because what somebody might, one person's style or recommendation for you might be way off because your your personality and needs and styles and so on are different. So it, it really is important to get to know yourself, trust yourself, play with it. Maybe don't be too serious about, about life. Uh, that's certainly been one thing I've learn to um to to adjust to is i i took these things pretty seriously and the more the more i got into it the more i've kind of learned i need to lighten up and and play and just kind of smile at some of these events um when they come along and if they don't go my way or whatever so yeah right and so then are synchronicities always a sign of a good thing or sometimes they can be sort of included in bad things exactly. are you kidding me that was my question. I had it written down. Literally about to ask that question. I was actually going to ask something else until until David uh, uh-huh. uh, ended the sentence with uh, with that. Yeah, that was that was the first question I wrote down. <laughs> and and so you guys just had a, a little tiny synchronicity or coincidence, or at least a coincidence. Whether Show it's over. Well, how meaningful it was to either of you is is subjective and up to you guys. But um, that was certainly a coincidence. And and when we're talking about it, you can expect that they're going to come up. You know, when you get into playing around in that field, they're they're going to pop up. So now let's see. Uh, to answer the question, um, there's a really cute uh, story I could tell that. Um, I actually heard a version of this in the 1995 movie Assassins, um, and uh, Julianne Moore, I think it was, was telling this story uh, to, to Sylvester Stallone. Um, so my version of it is that there is this little bird up in, in, let's say, Canada, where it's really cold, and all the birds were getting ready to fly south for the winter. And he didn't want to go. He was going to prove to himself and other people that he could make it through this rough winter. His, his friends couldn't convince him otherwise, so he stayed for a while, but then he realized it was a mistake and, and it was too much for him and he had to try to go south. So he took off, but he didn't get very far before he got caught in an ice storm and his wings got totally frozen and he fell to earth. So there he is lamenting how much of a fool he has been, you know, and what could be worse than this? I'm going to die freezing to death in the middle of nowhere. Well, just then a cow came along and shit on him. So there he is thinking, oh, man, I thought it was bad and now it's even worse. But then in a few seconds, you know, the poop started to warm him up and now he realizes, oh, I can get out of here now. This turns out to be a good thing. So he's, flap- he's flapping his wings. He gets, you know, his head above the cow pie and he looks around. He sees a bush nearby and he's thinking, I'll be out of here. I can take cover under the bush and then we'll wait for the storm to pass and everything's going to be fine. So he's chirping really loud like a happy bird does. And what he didn't consider is that there are other animals on that farm, especially the farm cat. And the cat heard the chirps, came along, found him before he could get out of there, and cleaned him off and ate him. But that's not the end of the story. It's the end of the bird. So there are three meaningful things we can take away from the tragedy of this of this bird. The first thing is, not everybody who shits on you is your enemy. Number two, not everybody who gets you out of shit is your friend. And number three, if you're happy in a pile of shit, you might want to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's good. So the the good and the bad, yeah, they just blend. And there are other stories like that all over the literature you can find. There's one about a lost horse that's from, I think, China. You can look that up in World Folk Tales. And, you know, the good, the bad just flip-flop 
very quickly. And a lot of times we miss those rhythms because they they take too long to show up, but sometimes they happen very quickly. And it's just a thing of uh, learning to kind of smile, I think, at it and uh, figure out what, you know, are you're on a downward turn. Let's see what what's down there in the in the darkness. The ancient idea was there's light or gold down in that chaotic darkness. And the idea of, for the hero is to discover that, trust it, feed it, follow it, and uh, develop skills and connections and then come back home in a nutshell. So if we learn to do that more, and I think that's one of the things that I like to teach, what stories have to teach, what synchronicity can teach as a tool, is that it is a mutual thing. To go back to an earlier question, there is this mutuality. And yeah, if we're trying to force it all by ourselves, we're like Sisyphus constantly rolling the rock up up the hill and then having to go get it again repeatedly, rather than, than t- kind of tuning into a network of uh, what goes on in us and through us and around us and and trusting that and um, and then you know then you've got something that's more co-creative which uh, would be uh, a couple images might be uh, in that case you're swimming in water if you're on dry land you motate in a different way you know you can walk run whatever but if you try to walk or run in water in a pool of water or an ocean you're going to drown pretty fast you have to learn how to go with or or move the water in such a way that's that has a mutuality to it and so it's it's much like that we've been used to a billiard ball kind of pool experience where geometrically if you know the formula for how to hit the ball just right you can predict it's going to go a certain way and hopefully if you hit it right it goes in the pocket and that's the kind of precision that our left brain or our egos or whatever like to have and we feel secure in that but increasingly those kind of scripts are not working like they used to and life is so chaotic that it's really time to discover this new tool of synchronicity but it 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 wants to it's got something for us and we've got something for it. It's this back and forthness where, yeah, it'll help you, but it's also going to ask you to, to maybe sacrifice or give up something or to trust it in a way that you're not used to. Okay. So to sacrifice maybe some comfort, um, it does seem like that these synchronicities appear most often during times of personal transition, whether that's physical or maybe a job or maybe a relationship or something like that. Mm -hmm. But if that's true, can't we make them appear by transitioning? It kind of goes back to the fate destiny question of if, if we came in with a work, with a, a theme or a story to live out, uh, the, 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 one of the ancient uh, theories was called the acorn theory that we come into this acorn. That's meant to be this kind of Oak tree. So, um, the synchronicity is there to help you discover what's in the acorn, what's what's already in you. So if you're trying to simply make it up, you're kind of fighting against a deeper part of yourself. So this is a, what what this does is it assumes that there's there's not just one center to your to yourself, to what you think of as self. It's not you're not just your ego. Uh, Jung would say you have a deep self that he capitalized capital S. So there are kind of two centers of 
of who you are, the ego, you could say for one, and then the deep self in, in this model. And you can use different terms or different ways of thinking about it. But, but that there's that idea of there's something deeper, just think of, you know, consider that there's something deeper that has a certain something in mind um, that connects more to the universe. And so uh, if I'm getting in touch with that, then that's going to bring the most meaning. It might be a sacrifice of comfort or something to the ego or the part of yourself that thought this is how it's supposed to be. But when you get in touch with that deeper self, then you have a much deeper happiness, a much deeper satisfaction. Um, and so it takes a little bit of, of um, experience with that, of trusting that, of, of something that kind of blows you up enough that go, you just go, I, you know, my a certain way that I've been doing things isn't working. And, and then maybe, you know, at some point you discover that, okay, there's, there's other sources of help within me and around me. That uh, acorn theory, is that James Hillman? James Hillman. He didn't, he didn't come up with it, but he, he talked about it a lot. That was one of his favorite things to discuss. And his uh, pretty popular book uh, about that was called the soul's code. The soul's yeah. code, right? So I would advise people to, to check that out if they want to learn more about it in particular. It's really fascinating. I love the idea of all of us being some sort of blueprint that the universe has that can match something else in the universe. You know what I mean? Like like a, like the Russian doll type thing. Like yes. there's there's we're all kind of coming from from each other and from the greater the 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 greater entity that that we live in which uh -huh. you know we can call it the universe or we can call it you know whatever people will will put a religious uh uh aspect to it but um i like that idea i like that thought exercise mm -hmm. and you know one one thing i think some people will say when i get to talking with them about it um an objection that people can have is well i like the idea of free will and i don't like this idea that you know if you say this other thing then it seems like it's predestined and i think the truth about that uh or i don't know i don't know if i want to say truth but the more that the model or the idea behind it is it's some of both and that the blend of both is what makes life so interesting and mysterious. So there, there are different stories that have been told, but, but one idea would be uh, Michael Mead tells this one and it's a little bit involved and I don't remember all the pieces, but our lot in life kind of comes out through um, uh, chips off the tree of life in this one story. And so uh, these little chips will have your sort of your theme or your, uh, the stuff that you're coming in with on one side and the other side is blank. So it's both. And so that blank side is more open for you to co-create with or to uh, add your flavor to your style to that other side. So, um, you know, because the, it kind of combines the, the other competing thing, which is mostly what we go with, which is that we are blank slates is one term for it we're kind of empty and the our experiences and so on here on earth kind of fill us up well kind of the weakness of that is if, if we're that blank then we're subject to other people's power and control you know or indoctrination or something and that doesn't seem very very friendly or nice to to me exactly so i think i think you know we need both it would be my solution or offering to people about that it makes a lot of sense and that's been my experience is the main thing i would say you know check out your life story and reflect on the ups and downs of it and see what themes keep popping up what callings keep on calling you 
that Michael Mead says, you know, your calling will keep on calling you. Just like for me, it was, I tried to run away from, you know, doing the movie in a way, cause I was too kind of scared of it and doubtful and so on, but it just kind of kept after me in a way and in a, in a nice way, but persistent. So that'd be a way to kind of check it out for yourself. I mean, I, I don't want anybody to just take what I say or what anybody says on some kind of blind faith. I think, I think we need to uh, value our own personal experience, but be open and, and see what resonates for you. Yeah, and there was another quote in the movie, and I, I forget the fellow's name, but he said, fate follows free will. So where it kind of seems like it would be one way that you're kind of locked into things, it almost seems like actually it's the other way around. Yeah. So let me come back to one more thing I forgot to finish and then tie into that. Um, So one of the ideas that Michael Mead says in the film that I really like, and this goes kind of to the acorn theory again, is that when we think of freedom, we end up typically thinking of freedom as being free from something free from being victimized, free from some power, whether it's a daddy or, you know, whatever, or some big organization or whatever it is, uh, and, and, or an enemy is the quickest way to think of it. So we're all, so if we think that freedom only means that, then we're constantly going to be setting up enemies as straw men, you know, kind of thing. Um, but if we think of freedom more as freedom too, then that, that, would posit more of a calling, something that is attracting us, much like trying to woo us, date us, flirt with us, and then do we go out and interact with that? And as we do, then then we develop this kind of authentic connection to it where you go, yeah, this really resonates and this seems right. And then then you're trusting yourself, then you're rolling. Um, so uh, back to the, the last question, uh, which I like very much, um, as far as how to blend that, it, for me, it's um, along the lines of maximizing maybe the best chances for certain fortunate things to come your way. There's a very good uh, little paragraph or mini essay or whatever uh, by Goethe, um, and it goes maybe by different titles. I think you can find it uh, titled Until One is Committed. I know it's that way in um, the poetry book called Rat, The Rag and Bone Shop of the Heart that Robert Bly, Michael Mead, and James Hillman put together. <clears throat> uh, so in, in that little paragraph uh, by Goethe, um, it basically says that once one is committed, then providence moves too. So you attract all kinds of things to you by the fact that you're committed. And the idea is it needs to be an authentic commitment that it's really coming from you. You can't fake it. You can't try to be somebody else. And so when that happens, when you really commit to something, then you're in alignment with, um, you know, that network or that uh, assistance. And so doors will open up that you couldn't even see where that were there to begin with and, and things like that. So uh, I think the more that we're in touch with what that is for us and using the guidance of synchronicity or whatever other uh, tools somebody can get in touch with meditation, all kinds of different things that people like to do, um, then the more that's, it's going to feed on itself. And, and so, um, there, there are ways of kind of maximizing that, I think, by um, uh, being committed, being focused and, and trusting, taking those leaps. Uh, one more thing, you can, I mean, a person can still play with synchronicity in terms of like divination, you know, and just take a chance and roll the dice and just play like that. For example, 
Uh, one thing I like to do is uh, there's it might be a book that is a favorite of mine, and I'll just think to myself, uh, let's just see if I hit on something just by flipping through the pages and letting my intuition tell me where to stop. And so it might be a 200 page book and I just kind of flip through and suddenly I stop and I, and I start reading. And oftentimes there is something there where I go, wow, that really matches up with something I'm going through right now. And it's a really nice message to hear. And other times, eh, maybe not so much or whatever, but it's a way to play. And there are other, of course, you know, there's the Tarot and um, the I Ching and so on, different divination tools that a person can use that I think are mirrors back to us um, that, uh, of course, we have to be careful because we're making up our, our own interpretation of those things. But but again, those are those are also ways, there are a variety of ways like that to play. Right. Yeah. You mentioned mirror a couple of times. I think that's kind of interesting. That's something mm-hmm. to maybe be mm-hmm. cautious of, right? You can kind of uh, sort of trick yourself in a way. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's right. We could say that the the whole world is a, a, a Rorschach test, you know, and and so uh, it's, it's 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 why it's important to continue to check and balance yourself. Um, you know, kind of have an inner democracy going on, um, and and so yeah, uh, there it is. And what else do you have in the pipeline uh, for projects? Uh, anything that is uh, right in line with what we're talking about tonight? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, what has come to me uh, just in the last month is uh, I'm working on doing an online class around the, the topic of synchronicity and using the film. Um, and I think it, it's it's a natural because, and I didn't intend this when I made the film, but I ended up putting it together in, in sort of like chapters, um, certain topics, and each one might be anywhere from seven or eight minutes up to maybe 17 minutes. And it's various things about maybe a causality or story or science or whatever. And they're just like the right, I was going through it about a month ago and realized, yeah, they're just the right amount of, of uh, material broken up into enough modules. I could, I could do an online class of about seven modules, which is just perfect. And I found a, a mentor who has a, a, a way of teaching how to do an online class that I really like. And the timing of that came along at just the right time. So I've just started to put that together. I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm feeling more confident. Um, a year ago, I wouldn't have been ready. I kind of had a feeling it might, you know, and these are so popular now doing classes this way. But um, I, I'm just kind of inside myself much more ready than I was six months or a year ago. And, and that's just from continuing to kind of explore and do my, um, you know, inner discovery, inner work. And so, yeah, I'm very excited about that. I hope to have that out maybe early next year. I hope to have it finished. And it always takes a little longer than you think. I thought the movie might take me two or three years and it was more like six. So uh, <laughs> it's tricky again. Yeah. Once uh, Once you have that, online class live once it's running let us know we'd be happy okay. to promote it we'd be oh, happy to yeah. um yeah yeah have you on again to talk about it or, or wonderful whatever. wonderful thank yeah. you very much I, I i'll be happy to do that yeah yeah absolutely and uh david i've just got one more question here for you today and it's about the role of intention what how important is the role of intention in all this uh yeah it's um it's very important, and and it's again one of those tricky things. Um, I think it can open doors. I think it goes back to your earlier question about um, fate and destiny, and kind of optimizing um, the best outcome. Um, sometimes we're unaware 
of uh, our intention. We can be very unconscious and suddenly we get a reflection back in the mirror of life through a synchronicity or it could be a, something pretty bad that happens or whatever. And, and suddenly we go, oh, wow, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was thinking that way. Or, or could I have contributed to it maybe with my own unintentional thinking or, or habits? And so, yeah, intention is just one of those very powerful aspects to uh, how we move through life, and it's it's very important to be in touch, and also then to modify it. Uh, I, I hope that helps. Or did you have a, a more specific thing about it? Or no, it's, that's basically yeah. it. I yeah. mean, I think it's so it's so important uh, to set yeah. a positive intention, yeah. uh, especially when you have a goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on the flip side of that, if you're up to no good, you could set a negative intention. Exactly. And, and live up the, to that, yeah. The other th- yeah, the other thing might be, you know, where's the intention coming from? You know, <laughs> is, it, is it coming from a selfish side of me, a greedy side, for example? Uh, and I've got to make this happen, which again, then you get into trying to force something as compared to uh, an intention of being open to what's best for me. What an example might be, what's going to bring out the best of me, you know, and that's a very general thing, of course, to start with, but then you might start getting answers back in certain way in your dreams or through feedback from other people or whatever, who see you skilled or whatever in a certain way. And so uh, to be open and that, that again, then we're back to mutuality and then we're back to co-creating with the universe and it's going to, it has a better chance of, you know, turning out better and more effective for you. People want any more information about you and about synchronicities? Where do you direct them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my website is the title of the film dot com. So what is synchronicity dot com? Uh, you can find uh, a way to purchase either by str- uh, there's a connection that goes then to Vimeo to either. Uh, download it or uh, stream it uh, like a rental and you can also buy a DVD if you prefer that through the website Uh, there's also a contact form if you want to reach out to me with any questions comments or anything like that very open to dialoguing with anybody and uh, you know always open to seeing what other people are doing with this kind of subject and um, any way I can participate and build community around this I thought for sure you were going to say, go outside and look into the night sky and think about me extremely hard, and then you'll just you'll just pop on there, pop up in their uh, inbox. Oh, David emailed me. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, you know what? Um, you know, do you have time for one very quick synchronicity story that reminds me of? Sure. Okay, so. Um, it's, it's maybe no accident that you mentioned something like that. I'm woo woo, but not that woo woo. So, <laughs> so here's what happened. Uh, one of the main interviews I did out in California was with Dean Radin, a scientist at uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences. And here's what happened. So I I'm out there and, and he says, when we get done with the interview, he says, there's a colleague of mine who wants, who wants to be interviewed. And I'm like, okay, how did that happen? turns out this fellow, um, had gotten an email from Dean Radin saying, Hey, there's a film crew going to be in, in today and they're about synchronicity. And if you have any, you know, thing you want to talk about or, you know, be interviewed, you know, let them know. And, and so on. It turns out this fellow, before he got that interview, got that email, he was meditating uh, as the, as Venus was rising, I think it was. And, and he had this thought spontaneously during his meditation that morning of synchronicity and gosh, are there any film 
films on synchronicity out there and there ought to be one. And, and then he gets back to his office like a half an hour, uh, whatever later. And here's this email from Dean Radin saying, Hey, there's, you know, this, this guy, these guys coming to interview. So we interviewed him about that. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's there, there it is. You just, when the unexpected expects you, it could be synchronicity is what I ended up kind of, uh, summarizing from that. And that's one of the ways you never know. So it's fun. There you go. And, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't make too much out of it, but on the other hand, a lot of times they're just funny things and they're there for your entertainment and enjoyment. And I, I think if we try too hard to explain all this stuff, then it loses the magic, the wonderment, the mystery. And if you're a scientist or somebody that really wants to uh, delve into it in terms of certain explanations, go for it. I, you know, I certainly, but, and some do, of course, but I think the main juice or a, a really great, perhaps better way to start to join with it is the subjective aspect of how does it affect you? And then, you know, to go from there, uh, it puts the intuition more in the driver's seat and the left side of the brain a little bit more on the passenger seat, uh, at least at the start. And so it, it kind of joins with it, I think, a little bit better that way. So that's that's my take anyway. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.